Hey, this is Adrian Stevens, most recently Vice President of Talent Management at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Dimitsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is, t- is taking our listeners' leadership to another level, but finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Listeners, it is now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. And listeners, I want to welcome you to the show today. Today is episode 50. Can you believe it? Yep, episode 15. It's a real pleasure to be able to bring these shows to you on a regular basis every week uh, with two interviews with my guests and then also the freestyle episode of Ask Dennis uh, where I share either a question from the listeners or a um, some thoughts or insights that I share from working with leaders around the world over the years. But team, today I have a, a guest with me, a uh, real pleasure to have him here. His name's Adrian Stevens. He's most recently the Vice President of Talent Management at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Since the launch of HPE in 2015, Adrian's facilitated the development of HPE's leadership model, digital learning transformation, and people strategy. Prior to the launch of HPE, Adrian led the Hewlett Packard Learning and Development Separation uh, Management Office, contributing to one of the largest and fastest corporate separations to date and the successful stand-up of learning ecosystems for both HPE and HP Inc. Before pursuing a passion of people and a move to lead talent development teams and organizations, Adrian led business and go-to-market teams covering sales, marketing and business operations within HP's South Pacific Enterprise, SMB and consumer organizations. Adrian has contributed to the World Economic Forum Systems Initiative focused on future of education, gender and work in the WEFIT Consortium and the publication of the skill set principles of corporate leaders at Davos in 2018. While residing in, in San Francisco Bay Area, Adrian has lived and worked in Europe, Asia and South Pacific. Adrian, hey, a massive welcome to you to the show today. Thank you, Dennis. Uh, delighted to be here. And uh Chuff for you with episode 50. What an honor. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. Thank you. So it's uh, it's been really, really cool. Adrian, so I've given a, given a brief introduction on, on you. Um, would you like to share a little bit more about your background, please? Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, you know, I was born in the uh, United Kingdom, uh, kind of had my formative years growing up in Southeast Asia in Singapore. Uh, a real dream time that was as a youngster in the 80s, and then really moved to Australia in my teens. So I think in terms of my identity, having been through high school in Australia, university, um, I feel very much like an Australian. I think I 
still call Sydney home whilst I reside out here in the Bay Area in California. And uh, my own studies took me into behavioral sciences psychology. So I guess that's my degree. Uh, but I've always had a passion for people and why we relate the way that we do, why we make the decisions that we do, kind of what drives us. And yet, despite that passion, I found myself uh, stumbling into work with Compact Computers back in 99. And that was after a little bit of a stint with PepsiCo in uh, customer service and then performance and training. And I always thought these little two-year stints just to get some experience and a little bit of exposure. And then I'd probably <laughs> pop out and work out what I really wanted to do with my life. But it, you know, the board just kept rolling and I enjoyed every every moment. Uh, I think beyond that little uh, background piece, I am, uh, you know, I, I guess a person of the planet, as I like to say. I'm a quarter Chinese, a quarter Indian and half English. So naturally a fan of diversity and the strength that it does bring, and, and I guess all the, the cultural nuances that are so so gorgeous, basically. And uh, yes, a family, so wife, two girls, and uh, you know that's probably what matters most to me, in addition to supporting and encouraging people to, in essence, be their best selves. Excellent. It sounds like a, you know, a real rich career that you've led and, and, and so forth in different countries and regions around the world. How did you actually get into leadership? You know, it kind of started back at, at high school, you know, during the school process, we had a cadet call, sort of like play army, if I can say that respectfully. I mean, there was rank that you could aspire to attain. I figured I'd give that a shot and aspire to be a lance corporal of a section. Um, and then actually was entrusted to be a corporal. So that sort of surprised me to begin with. And it, it relished that year. It was great. You know, looking after seven people, camping, first aid, snake bite treatments, bivouacs and more. And I began to enjoy just that accountability to help others enjoy the experience. I think that was at its core. Um, and then that kind of continued um, in terms of being entrusted with more and more seniority, more responsibilities to lead platoons, companies, and so forth. And then similarly towards the end of school, I was entrusted with school captaincy. And I think at the time, I was a reluctant receiver of these responsibilities, if you like. But what I also appreciated in terms of my identity was the capacity to kind of close my eyes, take a breath, and then step into it. And then really relish that responsibility. But again, most importantly, this... Um, accountability to help others get the most out of their experiences, be it at school, in the context of the year, what was being experienced, uh, the cadet corps, football teams, and more. And so that was really my first exposure to it. Um, and I maybe thought it was a, a one and done. I did that. And let's get out there and live life. I was into music, playing in bands. I never aspired to be a leader per se. But as I journeyed into compact computers in particular, um, mm -hmm. and an opportunity came up to lead a team, I, I I, you know, I actually didn't put my hand up and uh, I was questioned about that from a leader at the time who to this day I have such significant respect for. And she simply said, why didn't you? And I said, well, I've only been on the job for three months. I, there's still lots for me to learn in my current responsibilities. I didn't feel the time was right. And she said, but Adrian, there was a couple of other people that put up their hands that started at the same time you did. I was like, really? Oh my goodness. You know? Uh, would have been a lost opportunity for me not to at least have helped others more broadly. And that was yeah. a lesson learned. Don't wait. You know, um, raise your hand, reach out and at least express your interest or let people know that you have a desire to make a broader difference and to help. And so the next time a role came around, of course, I raised my hand and I was given that accountability to lead a team. I was very young. I was in my kind of early 20s, 24, maybe 25. And uh, the team, of course, were invariably in their late 20s, early 30s. And so there was an immediate natural tension point in terms of, well, hang on a second, who are you? Just tell me what to do. And uh, that's when I realized pretty quickly, well, hang on, I'm not actually here to tell you what to do. I'm here to help you succeed. You know, my job mm. is to make sure you have all the tools and the support 
the backing. You've got a place to soundboard to ideate a little. And uh, I'm someone that will, you know, make sure I'm here for you. And that began to soften that tension and build some trust. And uh, I began to realize maybe that was my little formula for success, ensuring people understand how much I care. And then I'm basically here. My job, my paid job is to make sure they succeed fundamentally. And I've, in essence, carried that through into every, I guess, accountability I've been entrusted with. So that's how it began once I, once I stepped into a, a corporate context, basically. Yeah, beautiful. And, and really quite interesting because um, I've got a couple of questions here. One is uh, how many snake bite treatments did you have to do? <laughs> Fortunately, none in the real world, yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that's good. So I, I, I quite like what you talked about, closing your eyes and taking a breath and then stepping into that responsibility, which is really good. But I think the important thing here is as well is that um, the two questions i got, one is, raising your hand and stepping up and doing that. How, how important is that for leaders to make sure that they're doing that on a regular basis? You know, I, I think it's it's very important because if you don't express what it is that you want um, mm-hmm. or you don't help other others see what you have the potential to do or how you'd like to contribute, then you could miss out on that opportunity. And I think that's potentially a risk with it in terms of your own career development or in terms of your ability to garner feedback because you might miss out and be curious as to why, and then you have an opportunity to get guidance in terms of what that why might be. And it could be a lack of experience. It could be they're not quite the right timing. Who knows? But I think, again, between the feedback you garner or the responsibility you could be entrusted with, it's going to be a gain for you. So I do think it's important for people to raise their hand and, uh, and clearly state what it is they feel they have the capacity to do. It doesn't yeah. always have to be about leadership. It could be to take on a new project, sure. take a risk and go build some new product or, or system. Um, and that's what really grows us. It's those experiences ultimately. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And and so the second question there was uh, based on what you're saying just before was that there seems to be leaders who do struggle and sometimes they call it the imposter syndrome. They mm-hmm. they sort of struggle in the fact that they've been promoted to the role and there are people there who may be more experienced in tenure in the way of being in that team a lot longer or the organization yeah. or they may be a more of a, la- a bigger age if i can put it that way than the actual leader itself and that leader doesn't have to be like a new frontline leader it could be right through to the executive levels as yeah. well so so what's what's one or two things you would say to somebody like that um and i know your your approach was you know i'm here to help you succeed but would, would there be anything else that you would offer up to anyone else to help them succeed as in that transition of actually taking on that new role yeah yeah i got some fun stories here Based on my own experiences, you know, I feel that I suffer from imposter syndrome, you know, to an mm. extent, and I've, I've found good coping mechanisms to work through it. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, being entrusted with responsibilities, whether it was at school, and, and I guess, you know, how you interpret your environment shapes a lot of your thinking over time. And I know back yep. then I was like, who, me, what, a, a corporal? I wanted a lance corporal. Oh, wow. I didn't expect that. That's nice. Let me see what I can now do. And it just continued into my career um, in Compaq and HP, where, you know, through various promotions or being entrusted with new uh, responsibilities, I was always a little surprised. And again, relative to a lot of my peers, I was relatively young, you know, 24, 25, 26. I think I was leading a go-to-market group at 28. Most of my peers were in their 50s. And I kept saying, gosh, you know, I have to pedal fast to do this. Um, I am not good enough. I don't have enough skills. I'm having to double down all the time. And uh, on the outside, I was cool and calm. But on the inside, I was working super hard. And I sat down with a mentor one day, and they hit me right between the eyes because I was babbling on about all this responsibility at such a young age and, you know, how am I going to do it? And I'm pedaling so fast. And they simply said two things. Well, how old are you? 
And uh, I think at the time of this conversation, I just turned 30. I'd just become a director. And she said, well, what have you really done? And I said, oh, what do you mean? I've done all these amazing things. And she said, well, I know a lot of self-made millionaires who are 30. I know a lot of CEOs who have their own businesses who are 30. I know a lot of people that have, what have you actually done? And I was like, oh, my goodness. And in an instant, I thought, you have got to get over yourself, Adrian. <laughs> what you're really being entrusted with, it's pretty simple. It's quite straightforward. Why are you spending all this time worrying about whether you can or can't do something? So that helped in a way. It was a bit of tough love, you could say. I got a little sweaty at the time when that feedback was given to me. But it did create a shift that elevated my sense of um, certainty around getting engaged and spending less time worrying about whether I can or can't. Yep. And then equally, around the same time, particularly as I started taking on more executive accountabilities, I was also told, you know, Adrian, the person that has entrusted you with this title or this scope or this budget, they've done that because they believe you can do it. They mm. wouldn't have given you that responsibility if they didn't think you could do it. So why would you waste another second worrying about whether you can or can't? Get on with it and enjoy the process. And that was the ultimate shifter because I was like, oh my goodness, that's right. They wouldn't have promoted me if they didn't think I had a chance of succeeding. So let me not second guess myself for a second longer. Let's roll up sleeves, get engaged, link arms with the team, with my peers and go make this happen. And then the joy started to come back into it. You know, I was always energetic, always enthusiastic, but the genuine joy uh, showed up. And then again, that made it easier. And I think that made me a more authentic and more compelling leader too. Mm, yeah, great. No, thank you for sharing that because I think that's really good and interesting to see because I think a lot of leaders, do they do struggle with that. And um, yeah, I, I, you're right. I mean, they wouldn't have promoted you if they didn't believe in you for sure. And mm -hmm. uh, it's good. And I think that's it's awesome. You know, one of the episodes that's come out as well is about taking more risks uh, with talent. Mm. And I think that's really quite interesting that we see people do that and actually do take that risk as well to give people the opportunities to go out there and succeed, but also set them up for success yes. as, a, as they're embarking onto those, that different journey and that, which is good. Yep. So Adrian, this, you, you've probably got many uh, ideas or thoughts on this question here, but um, mm. who's your favorite leader? Now this person could be alive or from history. So who's mm. your favorite leader and why? Mm. I'm not sure I'm going to do you justice here, Dennis. It's a really tricky one. You know, I thought, I, you know, if I think about who my favorite leader is, how do I pick just one? And equally, often when I've reflected on leaders that I might have admired in the past, at some point in time, something happens where something is revealed and, of course, they're just human and they're flawed in some capacity or, you know, they're discredited in some way and it's so disappointing. So I've really struggled with that whole notion of, you know, what is the ideal leader? when at the end of the day, we are all just human beings, right? And we have our strengths, which shine through, mm -hmm. and that's what ignites people to go pursue a goal or translate an idea into a solution or some kind of value. Um, but equally, there are flaws there. So I think from my perspective, and maybe this is where I'm ducking your question, I've always just cherry-picked those strengths or those elements and leaders that I, I value. And if I think right. currently, I mean, the first leaders that come to mind for me now are leaders like Satya Nadella who, of course, heads up Microsoft, and the remarkable transformation he's helped engineer there, built on a cultural shift, this embracing of growth mindset on you know, the art of what might be possible um, if we give ourselves the capacity to fail a little and find ways. Um, I loved his whole notion. I think he was the first corporate CEO that I heard. It was a video that I watched where he said, can you imagine what might be possible if we could align the collective unconscious of all the team members at Microsoft 
to go pursue a vision. And I thought, who talks about the collective unconscious of an enterprise like that? It was just marvelous. So I love that about Satya. Um, you know, equally, I love what uh, you know, Barack Obama kind of taught me around uh, how he managed tough situations, complex questions with humility, a steadiness, and a grounding that I felt helped bring people together. You could argue or debate that perhaps. But for me, I think that was a remarkable way of tackling tough issues. Mm -hmm. um, and I loved his just overall approach. Oprah Winfrey, you know, the value that she's created, you know, through her work over time, I think is magnificent. And the one thing I gleaned from her, I had this unique opportunity to meet her last year. I have to pinch myself. It was fantastic. But she talked about the greatest gift we have is to validate someone. I was like, oh, is that the greatest gift we have? What does that mean? And she just simply talked about her experience, you know, interviewing people, uh, luminaries, celebrities, politicians, leaders in their various fields, pop stars over the years. And every time she'd done that, so whether it was, and I think she literally quoted, you know, Barack Obama, Beyonce, uh, royalty, uh, Brad Pitt, uh, Beckham, there was a similar point at the end of the interview is the cameras went to commercial where every single one of them, regardless of their stature and their success, would lean and go, was that okay? Did you get what you needed? Was that, do you think that was all right? <laughs> and she was like, what are you talking about? You're Beckham or you're Obama or you're the queen, Beyonce. And she realized they just wanted to be validated. Did I do yes. okay? What Did I yeah. do a good job? Yeah. And that's when she realized that people simply want validation. Therefore, that's the greatest gift you can, can give someone. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them, their points of view, their perspectives, but you have to help them appreciate that you've heard them, you know, and yeah. to at least validate yeah. that. And I think that's, that's yeah. probably something that leaders should or could do a lot more as well, I think, Adrian, too, if they can validate mm -hmm. more with their teams and give them that just to sort of that belief as well and yeah. reinsurance. Yeah. That's right. And then, you know, popping through generations, Jay Shetty and the work he's doing to bring in a whole new generation to the work around mindsets and you know, principles and ways of living. And I'm a big uh, fan of your prime minister in New Zealand, right, Jacinda. And, uh, you know, I'm not close enough to really understand the, the direct impact of her policies and plans. But what I do know is the shift she's creating for women in leadership. Um, mm. And I know from firsthand the conversations we have around our dinner table with our two young girls around what leadership looks like and what it can be and what it can encompass and the difference it can make, you know, to have, you know, someone like her at the table making decisions that shapes policies and ideally improves lives. So, you know, and what I guess what I like about that list I just shared, it's all very diverse, right? Culturally, yeah, uh, demographic in terms of ages, and that's what leadership is all about. It's exciting. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Fantastic list of people as well, and uh, I love it. I mean. People who simply want validation. I think that's 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 just a beautiful way of summarizing all of that uh, for yeah. sure. This show is called Leadership is Changing. When yeah. I say that terminology, Adrian, what, what does that mean for you? You know, I, I think it is changing. Um, and I also think that's, you know, the purpose of our existence, to continually change. I saw this fantastic comic strip recently of the caterpillar having a coffee. In fact, I think it was a glass of wine at a table with a butterfly. And the comics, it's the static image of them having wine together. And the caterpillar is saying, oh, my, you've changed. And the butterfly is saying, you're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought it was such a gorgeous lens on this necessity to transform. Yeah. Um, you know, you and I have a heritage with uh, Hewlett Packard and Dave Packard, one of the co-founders, was known for having said, you know, to remain static is to lose ground. And I think this applies to everything in our lives as we look to evolve 
our consciousness, evolve who we are as human beings, and evolve the way we create value as leaders. And, you know, methodologies and approaches that might have been vibrant 10, 15 years ago, you know, command and control, perhaps aren't as useful today with the rate of change, the amount of innovation that's playing out, right. and the need for speed, in essence, where you do have mm. to tap in, like Satya said, the collective unconscious of your people, and find a way to surface all of that innocent intelligence to help shape how we solve some of the grand challenges in front of us. And a command and control, slightly fear-driven methodology that can drive strong execution may work for a period of time. But as things continue to unfold, it could put you at risk either as a leader or as an enterprise or a team yep. function of being irrelevant um, relative to the pace that you know your competition is working at and the different mm. ways in which they're creating value. So I think uh, for me, leadership should be changing and we should be finding different ways to engage with our people. I think COVID and the pandemic has really brought that to life, definitely here in the United States. I just can talk from what I've seen and what I've witnessed. And it's yes. been clearly a challenge, but it has generated some really positive cultural shifts where mm. people really are at the forefront of focus and attention. The sense of care for team members and employees, making sure that they are safe, that they're catered for, that they're able to work remotely, that there is more kindness in allowing kids or cats to come on camera, um, that people don't always have to be buttoned up in suits and tie when they're on a Zoom call from their home office. Um, and I think this is making work more human, perhaps where it always should have been. And again, that's a change in what leaders are now expected to be able to do for their people. And the importance of genuine check-ins, it has to be authentic and heartfelt. And maybe that's a skill not all leaders naturally have. So you can see how the training development world would start to shift to, to help equip leaders to do this more effectively with greater sincerity. Um, so it, it's changing. I could, I could go on for 30 minutes, but it's changing in many areas. And that's not to take away from the need to compete, you know, and the need to, to build businesses and to make tough decisions. But I think there's a way it could be done with some, some kindness, you know, yeah. and some care for the, the person. So that if they are impacted, there's a lot of workforce restructuring happen, happening at the moment for a lot of companies. It's not a reflection on the team member because they have the capacities to continue to create great value. It just won't be here today, but it could well be somewhere else tomorrow. And, yep. uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And and I think it's almost like, as you say, the pandemic, it's almost like it's it's pushed it through faster or yeah. it's almost like revealed the curtain things being pulled back and that mask is now longer it's now gone and it's more revealed a lot more about people and becoming more human and those who have not been that that way are struggling and um, yeah. what I've also noticed is that some organizations I've been working with the those who have been able to adapt and pivot very quickly Mm-hmm. It's because they had some strong trust or they had a very good foundation of trust yes. within the organization. Was it perfect? No, it's not perfect. I'm not saying that. But there was a very strong foundation and they were able to use that to help pivot in a positive way to yes. move the organization forward. So, yes, I, yes. I agree. And I think pand- the pandemic has actually pushed and forced a lot of organizations to really wake up quickly and get yes. on with things for sure. Yeah. And I guess there's still a paradox in there because we've just talked about this new expectation requirement to demonstrate care. But I think, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from Theodore Roosevelt. So going right Mm -hmm. back. And I think they were known for having said that people will only care how much you know when they know how much you care. Yeah. Yeah. So paradoxically, have things changed in terms of what leaders leaders should be doing or could be doing? Maybe not. But I think where the emphasis sits now, it's really bringing to light some of the things that really do make a difference. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yep. 
Absolutely, and I think it's because it's a larger footprint too that you actually have a global, more of a global reach too because of the virtual world, and so we have a lot of that too. So, Adrian, how is your the business that you're you were in or the industry? Mm. How's that changed, and what demand did that put on you and say the team? Yeah, you know, it was changing rapidly. I think the rate of change for all companies is huge now. Digital transformation has disrupted a lot. If you think about the business dynamics, new competitors are entering the market, um, growing exponentially. You've got legacy iconic companies um, that are now finding themselves on the ropes a little and having to to transform and pivot to, to stay relevant basically um, so all of that competitive pressure exists and is, is dramatically amplified at least I feel um, equally you know the war for talent has grown dramatically and you know the importance of people to realize your vision if you think about technology or the new technical skills, whether it's in the world of artificial intelligence and machine learning, big data, cloud, IoT, mobile, you know, if you went back five, seven years, it was really the tech companies that were sourcing that, that type of talent to go build right. their products and solutions, platforms, and so on. Now, across every industry, retail, finance, manufacturing, um, automotive, they all need those skills because we are now a more digitally enabled world. And uh, and therefore the war for talent it's it's huge and so if you're going to attract the right people or ideally you're going to retain your best people you know you need to work differently um, and I think some of the research that you see out there now is confronting some of the older norms. There was a, a gorgeous uh, book, The Firms of Endearment, uh, based on a Harvard study that looked at balancing stakeholder needs, uh, you know, between shareholders and employees, as an example between, I guess, procurement and your strategic partners in terms of how you contract and set up agreements. And they found that of the 30 public and 30 private companies that have balanced the needs and the term endearment is loaded, right? It's like love. They had done this in a, in a human-centered way. They had outperformed the market by more than a thousand percent. And often in business, we cite with some uh, reverence, you know, uh, Jim Collins' work around good to great and the performance that those companies have realized through, you know, aligned strategy and such um, but the firms of endearment companies had outperformed the good to great companies by i think over 700 percent over a 15 year period this was so again i think they had the recipe back then and now for all companies in the industries to be able to structure and plan to align a people strategy uh, in lockstep and on equal footing with the business strategy is now an imperative so I think what this is creating is the golden opportunity for chief people officers, CHROs, for heads of learning to really be at the table as new strategies are unveiled, to immediately look at how does the people plan enable this and support it? How does the learning strategy uh, equip the people to succeed? And with that, you know, you have a different lens also. You know, when companies are looking at their people, do their people have the skills to compete today? Okay, it's good. We need to know who they are and make sure they are looked after. But equally, who are the people we have that have the skills to help us transform? And how do we get them aligned to the right initiatives? And how do you know who has skills to transform versus compete? You've got to get to know your people. They're not simply just a number or someone on an Excel file. You have to take the time to get to know your people and to understand what their learning agility looks like. And that whole notion of learning agility, I, you'd be familiar with, you know, the ability to do all the right things from all the wrong places or to work through ambiguity successfully, applying new ways and methodologies. That is now a transformative skill that... Yep we should all be embracing or getting our heads around how best to you know, cultivate it within ourselves, within our organizations and teams. Yeah, oh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if there was one thing that you could change in business as a leader today, mm. what, what would that one thing be? 
you know, maybe we've touched on it, I think, with all that's played out, particularly with uh, the pandemic and this whole notion now of who we are as people and what we bring to our lives, you know, and the work that we do and this notion of kindness or at least putting well-being now mm. front and center of what really matters. And I think in organizations in business, if there's one thing we could change, it's to focus not just on what we're doing as companies, but also how we want to be as we do it yeah. um, and how we can really help our people truly flourish and enjoy what they do and just, um, you know, relish the experiences rather than be concerned or fearful. There's enough natural tension in any business ecosystem. I think leaders don't need to lay in anymore. And I think if we can start to remove the fear with all the science and the neuroscience that we understand these days, fear impacts your immune system at a time when we need our immune systems to be strong. So I think as businesses, if we can find ways to continue to compete well, but do it in a way that celebrates, recognizes, and cherishes the human capital that exists within the company, that's... I think where I give you, I'd like to see all businesses get to. Many companies do it, of course, but I think we could all get better. Yeah, yeah, and no, that's great. Yeah, and I think that, as you're saying, fear, right? The fear is really false evidence appearing real is really yeah. what we've been talking about in the past. And that and it does affect everything. And I think the, the, the ability to, what you said right up front, which was to close your eyes, mm-hmm. take a breath, and then step into that accountability or that responsibility. And I think that's what also helps us with fear. And yeah. if we as leaders can actually do that what you just shared earlier on and yeah. will actually help us a lot not just our immune system but also uh, i use an analogy uh, adrian in some workshops that i've been doing um and it's uh, it's around uh high performance uh, sporting teams and i use a you know a, a world champion rugby team that i won't even mention yet now but um, <laughs> but, um so so Oh yeah, actually, <laughs> I think the Wallabies, and I think even the you know you're talking about the rugby league teams, high performing teams are all doing this now, and that is when the yes. other team scores against them and they're in behind the goalpost waiting for the mm. conversion, they're, they're in a huddle, and most people think they're in the huddle to talk about things, but they're actually taking two big belly breaths right now, mm. and they've been doing this yeah. for the last two or three years, yeah. and it's to calm things down because of the fear of whoops, we've just made a mistake, whoops, what can we mm. do, and then then they go out and another try and another puts try on top of that and in three minutes you know after five minutes you've got three tries are being scored and I think what the heck's going on yes a lot of it comes down to the fear and the fact that they start panicking and yes. um you know with the word pandemic and then there's panic and then there's fear mm-hmm. and all that happens for sure and so if a leader can as you're saying slow things down a bit and breathe and, and be calm that'd be wonderful yeah I, I think we do underestimate the power of the breath you know I, I did a program almost like a quote out here it's uh, compete to create by michael gervais and team and uh you know they talk about the mindset of high performers and how do you start to cultivate that and they've got a whole section on breathing and i remember it was a a dynamic time at work doing long hours it must have been 11 p.m i was pretty fatigued probably had one coffee too many during the course of the day Mm. and uh, the exercise was simply to take a breath and to breathe in a belly breath to the point of tension hold it for a second and then to breathe out to the point of tension hold it for a second and then just to do that three times that was all that was required so i did that that night i just felt so much better and i kind of worked through to maybe midnight got to bed had a great sleep the next day i just felt great and worked through productive day day three i felt phenomenal i remember saying to my wife i said gosh i've been feeling fantastic these last three days and she goes oh what have you done differently i said nothing apart from three breaths the other night and it just seems to have shifted 
I don't have everything in my system. So I started doing that on a regular basis and it made a nice. huge difference. I mean, the simplest of things that we take for granted as we get ourselves grounded, you know, in the world in which we live. I love that. And yeah, sporting teams are embracing it. I think seeing it get laid more into how we work in the businesses we're a part of, I think is important too. And I love your notion on fear, right? False evidence appearing real. That thing about closing one's eyes, the other um, acronym I heard is that fear is the call to face everything and rise. Um, yeah, nice. Yep, face everything and rise. How you Beautiful. deal with fear, right? The antidote yeah. to fear is, is action, basically. Absolutely, yeah. And I remember, yeah. and I know you, you, you've, you know, in this journey, because you, you and I have talked a lot about this. But when I went through the voice journey, and, and mm. you know, when I had the surgery, and then I couldn't breathe properly, couldn't speak properly. But then when I had the the surgery, and had to go and learn how to speak again. Mm-hmm. But then there was this other piece which I had to go and learn to breathe again, and mm. that that was a massive tr- uh, transition and shift so much so that the you know I had to go and learn that and there was like a new muscle and a new new sort of thing that I had to wiring I had to get done in my brain right. to do it and I just look now at people and I can see them straight away they're just not breathing properly mm-hmm. in fact how many times you and I have seen people up front presenting and they forget to breathe yes they're just holding their breath right yes. <laughs> so it's amazing so yeah yeah it's true it's powerful Adrian, uh, employees, how has um, employees' expectations of leaders changed? Mm. You know, I think, I wonder if it has changed. I, I think they they expect their leaders to ideally, in my mind, mm. set up the ideal conditions that allow them to, to perform and, you know, how leaders help set clear directions there's less ambiguity and there's a lot of ambiguity out there today it's very tough to get clarity there's so much change um but if leaders can provide some sense of certainty because we're going to get from a to b this week or today or this month that helps corral i think the energy and the emotions in team members so that direction and i guess that sense of purpose as to why we're doing what we're doing I expect leaders to, to continue to positively challenge them, right, and help them grow as people, to give them those experiences, empower them yeah. with a little bit of risk, the right level of risk, if you like, to get going, mm. and that makes a big difference. I saw some great stuff, you know, uh, Marcus Buckingham's work around the nine lies about work and uh, the research they had found where the single biggest contributor to high levels of engagement was attention, simply attention. And that team members will spend up to eight months researching a company to see if it's the right move for them to take the risk and make a shift. And once they get to that new company, they'll know within, I think it's 15 to 30 days, whether they made the right choice or not. And it's completely predicated on how much attention they get from their direct leader. Yeah. Because if that attention is there, the connects are there, the direction is provided, the clarity, the support, the recognition and encouragement, they're going to feel good. If it's missing in action because the leader is more focused on their own agenda perhaps managing up or across and not really bringing the team with them, then they realize, oh, I've made a mistake. And mm. tragically, they'll often wait two years before leaving because that's a respectable tenure at a company. And so you've basically got a disengaged or at least a team member that's not putting in maximum discretionary effort for two years. So you've lost the seat potentially. Yep. And the attention, we can all control that. It's simple to do. So I think employees are looking for that attention. Um, and, you know, with that, some choice and some autonomy, you know, to – manage the work as best they can to deliver to outcomes in good form and good time, but to have the autonomy and the choice to decide on how best to do that. And particularly now people working remotely and from home, yeah. you know, they should be able to get out for a walk with the kids, come back, log on, keep going, get the deliverable in, but they should have the autonomy to decide how best to do that. And it's a very tactical yeah. example, but I think, you know. 
Mm, that's great. Yeah, yeah very, very good. And that attention, you're right, it's, it's huge. And I think you know, how many times we've seen with onboarding of people either it doesn't happen, and if it doesn't happen, they do leave. And and today, a lot of people will vote with their feet and they yeah. will leave. And not only that, they'll name you as the leader and they'll shame you, um, as yeah. I say it, on things like Glassdoor and, and things yeah, like that. Yeah, that's, that's right. And I think COVID will be very interesting because, as I said, I think by and large companies are doing an excellent job at leaning into their teams and their people. Sure. I hear such you know, gorgeous stories everywhere, um, at least here in the Bay Area, around companies that are, are doing the right things. And for those companies that aren't or those leaders that haven't, whilst things may be stable for now because people are fearful, they want to retain their jobs, you know, once things improve and climates get better, mm -hmm. you can imagine people, to your point, vote with their feet pretty quick. Yep. And there you'll see the, expo you know, the exposures. Yeah, no, beautiful. Yeah. Hey, what makes a leader successful in today's fast-paced, ever-changing world? I, I do think it's, you know, their agility to, to flex gracefully and to, you know, surf the wave intelligently. And I think to do that, it's a blend of a leader's mindset and their capacity to be sensibly optimistic when conditions are tough. But often people think optimism is naive, but I think it's mm. leadership. You know, mm -hmm. People are looking for someone to provide a sense of direction that things are possible, that we can find a way forward. And if they embrace and embody that mindset, it'll become contagious for them with their teams. Right. But I think mindset is a starting point. You know, it determines your behaviors and therefore your actions. I think that notion of learning agility, as we discussed earlier, I think leaders really need to be able to balance well as conditions nice. do shift and, yep. uh, and bring their teams through that journey with them. And to also have the capacity during that cycle to appreciate that not everyone will be able to keep pace with them. So mm. how do they appropriately connect with their people and again, understand their people? I think it was um, you know, Google's Project Aristotle, I might have quoted that incorrectly, that did all that work around which leaders and team members have had the biggest impact on Google's success over time. And uh, what they found was not what they'd originally anticipated. And they said that the type of skills and characteristics that leaders that had been hyper successful had were more likely to be acquired in a theater major or an arts major. And it was the capacity to influence, to collaborate and communicate well, to be creative, right. to tap in and partner well with others to create outcomes. And it was fascinating. And I think the article said it was you know, Google had been successful in spite of itself because that was never a part of their hiring criteria. Um, and yet it was what they had found had made the difference. So again, I think leaders, if they have the right mindset, they can demonstrate the right learning agility to successfully navigate ambiguity and new situations that are tough to plan for, like COVID. Um, yep. And then they also have those soft skills, you could argue. I think they've now been officially rebranded power skills because uh -huh. they are the skills that make the difference, right? Then they have the ability to be effective and successful in this ever-changing you know, world in which we're living. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think the catch is it's all undermined by self-interest or self-orientation, you know, that old chestnut. Because I'm aware that people often talk about, oh, you know, the calls are there, the one-on-ones or the all-hands, but it's not authentic. It doesn't feel mm. real. It's ticking the boxes. So again, I think leaders have to tap into their capacity to get in tune with their own human self. You know, really think through how do they want to be. You know, if this sure. was it, you know, it's actually it's it's tough day today, right? It's nine eleven. And you think about the loss of life, the loss of life since, you think about COVID and the loss of life. You know, what if we only had a year left or five years or five weeks and we didn't know? Yep. How do how would we show up differently? How do we treat yep. others? You know? Who would we really be if we could be our best selves for five more days? And if we could just embrace a little of that mindset, a little in my car perhaps, but that I think is the difference maker that helps 
everybody flourish. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, for a lot of us, uh, you and I would remember certain things in our lives. And I think our listeners, the same thing is that they will remember certain things in lives. Can you remember what you were doing the day that those planes hit the towers? Can you remember? Yes. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? So yes, we can remember, right. and yep. it's 19 years ago, and we can remember pretty clearly what we did. What, what were you doing? Yeah, we were. it was the inside sales team at Compaq, and we were, someone brought a television into work because we had to get into work, and uh, a team member had the uh, uh, initiative to bring a TV in. We plugged it in, and we would kind of huddle around it, just soaking up all the events, the news, um, discussing it, trying to get our heads around what was happening. It was a big day, yeah. I remember clearly. I can see the windows of Bushland outside the office on Orion Road in Lane Cove, Sydney. And, so this uh, was in Sydney, right? Yep. Yeah, that's right. We're in Sydney. Yeah. I was actually on a flight from Athens back to New Zealand, and we actually had a stop-off or stop-over in Sydney. And I landed in Sydney, and I think it was about 7 or 8 in the morning. And as I got off the flight and working through, walking through the terminals just for the hour before we get back on to fly into New Zealand, I was watching everyone hang, you know, huddling around the TVs. And I was like, oh, what's that movie they're watching? Yeah. And and it was and it was just like, wow. I, yeah. So on the flight, they said nothing to us at all. Not, not a word. Of course, yeah. 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 But, you know, I, I think with that, you know, any loss of life, I think we have a responsibility to live our best lives, you know, to mm. really uh, appreciate each and every day that we have. You know, every team meeting, every one-on-one, every business review. Um, this is an experience. And so let's shape it so that is an experience that we fundamentally enjoy. You know, that if there's tension in the room, how can we help dissolve it? You know, I think as leaders, as team members, you think about personal leadership, I always feel you have two choices with every email you write, every voicemail you might leave, um, every meeting you get engaged in, you can either help or you can hinder. Yep. So what are you going to do? You're going to help yep. hinder. And if we can all be more helpful, can you imagine what we could achieve? You know, imagine the creativity, the energy, the discretionary effort, the buy-in, the commitment. Yes. Um, if we could all get engaged and be helpful. Yeah, that's no, brilliant. Yep. And yeah. uh, we, we have a, a responsibility, you're right, absolutely, to live our lives with, with purpose and getting out there and doing things and making that difference mm-hmm. in a way that we, we help rather than hinder, for sure. Yeah. So, Adrian, I'm going get to you out, get you to get your crystal ball out now and start thinking about the future. Where, where do you see leadership being in five years from now? Wow, it's a big one, five years. Hard to predict two years. If you think about where we were two years ago, what we imagined might have been happening. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I guess what I'm conscious of is, you know, the automation of work and uh, the artificial intelligence that's getting laid in to augment how we, you know, operationalize and optimize organizations and functions and teams. And I think that's going to play out more and more. So I think yeah. as we move forward, leadership will encompass, you know, at the strategic level, again, continuing to work on capitalizing on the change because yep. inevitably with this change is opportunity. So you just have to be attuned to that, to be able to think differently and broadly to drive sustainable growth through enterprises. I think as we get into the mechanics of how you then corral and align a team to go do that well, I think leaders are going to, again, be able to differentiate the value they create by their human characteristics. Mm. So I think we've read quite a bit about this, right? So the machines and the automation and the AI will cover a set category of work how we then bring out the best human qualities to augment the machine to do something better is going to be, I think, some of the secret sauce that will sit there. And with a lot of that work, there's going to be displacement too. So again, a leader's capacity to cultivate, I guess, a learning culture amongst their team members so that, you know, we are continuously learning, 
rolling up our sleeves, sourcing new reference structures, building our capabilities will make us more useful and more valuable. Mm. And the more valuable we are, the more we'll be valued ultimately. Nice. Yeah, yeah very good. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, Adrian, so thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where, where should they go? Uh, LinkedIn, I guess. Uh, yep. I'm trying to get better at LinkedIn. I have to admit I'm a, a, a casual LinkedIn user and referencer, but I think increasingly I, I tend to reference it probably more than Facebook these days. I could be showing my age here, but I am on LinkedIn. So if they yep. want to connect and sync up, then that's probably an ideal way. Excellent. Hey, Adrian, thank you for being on the show today and, and in particular being on episode 50 with me and celebrating that. Yeah, so thank you very much for, for joining us and uh, our listeners on the show. Oh, Dennis, thank you. I mean, you and I go way back now. It's been such a privilege to work and partner with you over the years. Uh, some of my favourite career high points have been in lockstep with you. And so to come and join you on this show, uh, I think to celebrate some of the work that you've been doing, the value you're creating to the podcast has been truly rewarding. And to be here for episode 50, hello, I like that. Maybe awesome. I'll come back for episode 100. I don't know. <laughs> well, he set the goal. There it is. Uh, no, put it up. Raise your hand. <laughs> we can do a different set of questions. <laughs> now, come on, take a breath. Now step into it. <laughs> awesome. All righty. Hey, so listeners, hey, thanks for joining the show. So what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and the unfamiliar territory. It is time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Hey, listeners, look out for the episodes as they're being uh, um, released. Download them, have a listen to them, put a review. Also, if there is a um, some feedback you'd like to give me on the show or a question you'd like me to ask the people that I'm interviewing, or if there's a question you have for me on the freestyle episode of Ask Dennis, then feel free to send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Listeners, just a reminder to check out the Facebook group, Leadership is Changing, Team, it's great to have you on the show today. Uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.